in Acts 24. We will hopefully make it through the whole chapter tonight. Um, but let's go back and let's look at Acts 19. And could I get somebody to read verses 8 through 10? Acts 19, 8 through 10. Go for it, Joseph. Oh, <laughs> why are you looking at me then? <laughs> All right, said yes. Yes, please. So this is when Paul is ministering in Ephesus, and we see that the response wasn't necessarily what he was hoping for, that people were speaking evil of the way before the people, and he withdrew from them and took away the disciples, reasoning daily in Tyrannus. And then it also said that all of those who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Jumping down to verse 26... It says, You see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a considerable number of people, saying that gods made with hands are no gods at all. Not only is there danger that this trade of ours fall into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis be regarded as worthless, and that she whom all of Asia and the whole world worship will even be dethroned from her magnificence. When they heard this, they were filled with rage. They began crying out, saying, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. The city was filled with the confusion and with the confusion, right? And they rushed with one accord into the theater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. And when Paul wanted to go into the assembly, the disciples would not let him. Um, so yeah, again, trouble in Ephesus, right? They're not responding, um, not having the kind of effect that he wanted to have in, in Ephesus, in Asia, that they are retaliating against him. And that's going to come up in our chapter today. And then in verse 20, or chapter 20, verse 1, he got out of there as quickly as he could. He said that after the uproar had ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and when he had exhorted them and taken his leave of them, he left to go to Macedonia. So he wasn't looking to stick around any longer than he had to once the Jews had risen up and um, kind of voiced their disagreement with him. (laughs) in very violent terms. Um, Let's jump forward to chapter 21. This is where we've been most recently. And will somebody read for us verses 20 and 21 of chapter 21? Okay. All right, thanks, bro. Jews have believed, and all of them are zealous for the law. 
they have been informed that you teach all Jews who work. <laughs> they have been informed that you teach all Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to their to our customs. All right, and so after he left Ephesus and went to Macedonia, he had his eyes set on Jerusalem. Remember, he was going to go to Jerusalem. He was warned many times, you don't want to go to Jerusalem because they're going to beat you. You have uh, chains and, and jail time waiting for you in Jerusalem. And he said, I'm going anyway. He got there and he gave his report of all that God was doing among the Gentiles. And verse 20 says, they began glorifying God and they were praising God for it, but immediately they warned him and said, hey, there are all kinds of Jews here who are upset, and they think that you're speaking against Moses, and um, they've been influenced by other Judaizers, it seems, who have come in and said, well, Paul is really speaking against Moses. He's not a true Jew, and you shouldn't be listening to to what he has to say. Um, Jumping down to verse 27, catches up a little bit more says, when the seven days were almost over, remember he was advised by them to go and uh, take this vow with four other young men who were taking this vow to join them, to pay for them to take the vow so that the perception would be, oh, well, he is a, a Jew. He isn't abandoning all the um, all the Old Testament rituals and things, and he's still on board. We can trust this guy. So he went and he paid for them. He participated in this. Uh, purification right with them and it says when the seven days were almost over the Jews from Asia the same Jews that we read about back in chapter 19 um, the Jews that were tr- causing trouble in Ephesus they upon seeing him in the temple began to stir up all the crowd and laid hands on him crying out men of Israel come to our aid this is the man who preaches to all men everywhere against our people and the law and this place And besides, he has even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, in the city with him, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was provoked, and the people rushed together, and taking hold of Paul, they dragged him out of the temple, and immediately the doors were shut. While they were seeking to kill him, a report came up to the commander of the Roman cohort that all of Jerusalem was in confusion. And so that's when this Roman cohort steps in, uh, rescues him pretty much from the Jews who are trying to beat him, and takes him and imprisons him, right? <laughs> and we learn later on in chapter 23 that this is Claudius Lysias, is his name, who came in and rescued Paul. So that catches us up a little bit to where we're at. Um, After they took him in, um, in 22, in the middle of 22, um, Paul kind of causes a a stir between them, talking about how salvation has come to the Gentiles, and they didn't like that, and so they threw a fit about that. And that kind of derailed the, the hearing for a little bit. In chapter 23, he brought up the issue of the resurrection we talked about the last couple of weeks and how this, again, kind of derailed things, um, causing a, a division between the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and it caused them to turn against each other and to take their eyes off of Paul. And the Pharisees kind of came to Paul's defense, and uh, the Sadducees were against Paul. And so both times there was kind of a, a mob mentality that kept this 
um, this trial from going on. And so on 24, we're going to see that the trial has moved from Jerusalem to Caesarea. So this trial takes place in three major areas. In Jerusalem, which we've pretty much uh, completed our, our look at Jerusalem, now it's going to move to Caesarea and eventually to Rome. <coughs> but in chapter 24 and 25, uh, we're going to see the aspect of this trial that takes place in Caesarea, which is about 60 miles away from Jerusalem. So, any thoughts or questions before we jump into 24 about where we're at? All right. All right, so 24 um, is broken up into three parts, kind of. Before we get there, anybody <laughs> able to decipher what my beautiful drawing up here is? Dishwasher. Dishwasher, that's a good guess. <laughs> Boxes. Man, Andy was in here pestering me about it. How accurate is it? To whatever it's supposed to be. Not accurate at all. No. no. Uh, <laughs> I guess what right. the obelisk, it was, uh, it was a tombstone. I brought that on myself. Alright, so I'm trying to draw a courtroom scene. Because, yeah, yeah Manny. Oh, yeah, that's what's <laughs> Yeah, this is. What is it called where the judge presides? The, the bench. Okay. Yeah. There's usually two things on the sides. Is this like abstract? Yeah, one for the. Maybe there wasn't in Caesarea. But I don't know. Um, I'll, I'll give him a little gavel. Will that help? <laughs> Here you go. All right, so that's where, that's where the judge belongs. And then what's over here on this side? I Maybe, but in the movies, on this side. It's been a while since I've been to court. But I think the defendants are over on this side. The prosecutors are over on this side. So that's how I'm going to write. You know, Rex, right? Yeah, I'm not from back, I'm not sure what you're doing. <laughs> 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 All right. <laughs> Maybe my pictures won't be of much help tonight, but <laughs> we'll go through the chapter and see what we can get out of it anyway. Um, anyway, the, the chapter's broken up into three different uh, parts. So the first part's the, the prosecution, and then the second part's going to be the defense of, of Paul. And then the third part is going to be the, the judgment or the ruling, maybe, kind of. So three different parts of the chapter that we can break it up into. Um, let's go ahead and look at the, the first part here. And I did the opposite of Jeremy. I studied in the ESV, and now I'm teaching out of the NASB. So we need to get that right, Jeremy. All right, chapter 24. After five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders and an attorney named Tertullus, and they brought charges to the governor against Paul. After Paul had been summoned, Tertullus began to accuse him, <coughs> saying to the governor, Since we have through you attained much peace, and since by your providence reforms are being carried out for this nation, we acknowledge this in every way and everywhere, most excellent Felix, with all thankfulness. But that I may not weary you any further, I beg you to grant us, by your kindness, a brief hearing. For we have found this man a real pest and a fellow who stirs up dissension among all the Jews throughout the world. 
and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. And he even tried to desecrate the temple, and then we arrested him. We wanted to judge him according to our own law. But Lysias, the commander, came along, and with him much violence took and with much violence took him out of our hands, ordering his accusers to come before you. By examining him yourself concerning all these matters, you will be able to ascertain the things of which we accuse him. Alright, so in that <coughs> narrative, those eight verses or so, who belongs in this, what do we call it? This box up here. The bench. The bench. Felix. Alright, so Felix is the one sitting or standing behind the bench. And then, what about down here? The prosecutor. Who's sitting at the table prosecuting him? Um, yeah, I'll put him up here. Oh, man. How do I spell that? T-T-R-T-U-L-L-U-S. All right. So what is his role and what is he doing? He's the prosecutor. Yeah, he's a, the prosecutor. He's acting as the attorney. He's the one who's speaking eloquently. He's the one who was hired by what guy? Ananias. Ananias. So Ananias came down with some elders and... He grabbed Tertullus, who does this for a living. He's uh, eloquent and well-spoken and is acting as their lawyer. And then who's over here playing defendant? Paul. Good old Paul. Right? <coughs> no, no defense attorney, no point attorney. You have a defense attorney. Yeah. Just human God. Just human God. Yeah. Ah, Paul and the Holy Spirit, right? Right. <laughs> So, yeah, no matter how good Tertullus is, I'd rather be in Paul's corner, right? All right, so uh, after five days, a high priest, Ananias, came down with some elders <coughs> with this attorney named Tertullus and brought charges to the governor against Paul. Um, so this Tertullus guy, he was probably a Jew, even though he has a, a Roman name, and that was his his job, that was his vocation, is to go to court and to speak on, on behalf of people, to <laughs> prosecute people. And um, verse 2 says, After Paul had been summoned, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying to the governor, and how does he start off his, his accusation there? Verses 3 and 4. 2 and 3. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's sucking up, right? Um, yeah. So flattery was pretty customary to start off and to flatter the governor or whoever you're speaking before and just try to suck up, like you said, Britt. Um, try to get on his good side. And we learned a little bit about Felix last week. Felix is not really a good guy. He's not the best governor. He is the governor of what region? Judea. Governor of Judea. So that means that he is a, a Roman. He's kind of working for the Romans, but he's governing and overseeing this area of Judea and working in, in that area, overseeing all the, the stuff that gets brought to him. He was actually born and, and raised as a slave, so he didn't have high position growing up, but his brother was in with all the, the mucky mucks in Rome 
and he was real good friends with Claudius, the Emperor Claudius. And so he got given this nice position as governor of Judea. Um, Tacitus says about him that he thought that he could do any evil act with impunity and that he also indulged in every kind of barbarity and lust. So he was kind of a dog. He didn't really think that anybody was going to come after him and hold him accountable because his brother was friends with Claudius. He could get away with anything. We'll read in a little bit about his wife. I think we mentioned her last week and how uh, Drusilla is her name, how she was married to uh, a different king. Um, Drusilla. What was that, Rex? Was it Herod? Uh, no, she was the daughter of Herod, but she was married to some king in uh, Syria. He was a king in a, a region in Syria. And um, he, Felix, went and uh, kind of stole her for himself from this king because he thought that she was attractive and he wanted her, and so he just went and took her when she was 15 years old and made her his own wife. And so here at this point that this whole trial is going on, she's not even 20 years old yet, and she'll come up a little bit later. But that gives you a little bit of a, a picture of the character of Felix. He was known for not really doing or accomplishing much of anything during his whole time as governor of Judea. And so Tertullus, the prosecutor's attorney, is sucking up to Felix. And what does he say about Felix? He's very great peace and prosperity because of your foresight. Yeah. Yep. Is that... Who has the ESV and can read us the second part of verse 2 and verse 3? Reforms are being made for this nation in every way and everywhere. We accept this with all gratitude. All right. So in every way and everywhere, with all gratitude, most excellent Felix, um, everything's going great because of your reforms and the things that you're doing. And from... All historical accounts, Felix really didn't do much of anything. Uh, he quelmed a, a couple of... How, do you guys get, like, 10 scam calls a day lately? Okay, mine's increased. Last chance to renew your car's warranty. I missed it. I wish I missed it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, he's, he's sucking up to Felix when Felix really doesn't deserve to be sucked up to at all. Um, saying that they're enjoying all kinds of peace, much peace um, in your province. Reforms are being carried out in this nation. We acknowledge this in every way and everywhere, most excellent Felix, with all thankfulness. But that I may not weary you any further, <laughs> I beg you to grant us, by your kindness, a brief hearing. So you can just see and and hear the total suck-up or greenness, right? <laughs> um, coming through. For we have found this man a real pest um, and a fellow who stirs up dissensions among all the Jews throughout the world and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. So he continues to just speak hyperbolically. He's stirring up everything everywhere. You are the best, Felix, in every respect. Everything's going great because of your oversight. 
Um, so everything's exaggerated. You're the best, and this guy over here, Paul the defendant, he's the absolute worst. He's messing up everything. And he even tried... Um, oh, wait. Going back, he says that he's um, stirring up dissension among all the Jews in the world, and he is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. So a few different accusations there that are kind of important. In verse 5, he says, We have found this man a real pest and a fellow who stirs up dissensions. That wasn't something that Rome took lightly. Rome came in, they wanted to rule with an iron fist, they didn't want anybody to to cause a stir. They wanted you to sit down in your place and do what you're supposed to do. And so his first charge is a charge saying that he's going against Rome, which is a big deal. If that one sticks, that one lands in. He's really got Paul. Um, and, and Paul's done. His second charge is a charge against the Jews, saying that he's upset the Jews. He says, not only have they, has he caused dissension, but he's done so among all the Jews throughout the whole world, and he is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. So, Nazarene was not a, a good, good word. That was a, a bad word, a, a byword that was spoken of not in a kind way towards Christians. Remember, um, was it Philip? No, it was Nathaniel, right? He said, um, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Talking about Jesus. Because Nazareth just had a, a reputation that was less than desirable. And so they're called Nazarites, or Nazarenes here. Um, the only time, I think, in the New Testament that is referred to aside from Jesus. Jesus is called the Nazarene several times, but his followers here are called Nazarenes in kind of a, a slighted way. And he's Paul is being accused of being the ringleader among the Jews, causing all this dissension. And then verse 6 says that he even tried to desecrate the temple. And so he's not only saying that he's sinned against Rome and against the Jews, but that he sinned against God, most of all. Um, that he's gone against God's law, God's command. Not that Felix really cares much about that, but he's thrown out some accusations on several different levels against Paul and what Paul's done, what he's being brought there for. Uh, verse 7. Well, first... I can't read verse 7. <laughs> yeah, some people might not have verse 7 in their Bible. Um, so the second part of verse 6... And verse 7 and the first part of verse 8 are in several manuscripts. And so some Bibles might not have those verses uh, in the actual text. Do you have yours in a side note or a footnote? Yeah, the ESV puts in a footnote. Okay. So, yeah, a lot of them, you'll find them in a footnote. <coughs> um, will you read yours, how it reads, just verses 6 and 8? Yep. He even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to find out from him about everything of which we accuse him. Please. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, in the ESV, it skips verse 7 and parts of verse 6 and 8. And so as it reads in that translation, who is uh, Tertullus telling Felix to examine? Paul. Yeah, Paul. Will you read it one more time, Jeremy? In verse 8, um, Tertullus tells Felix, just examine him yourself and you'll get your answers. So starting in verse 6, he even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. 
By examining him yourself, you will be able to find out from him about everything of which we accuse him. All right. So, yeah, Andy, you're right. You'd be talking about Paul if those verses aren't in the original manuscripts. Um, he did this to the temple. He um, defrauded the temple. He sinned against Rome, against the Jews, against God. Go ask him yourself, and you'll figure it out. Go ahead. I don't know where he was talking about, I think, in the commentary, something along the lines of, in hopes, are you examining and questioning him that he may trip up, you know, in his, uh, his testimony or something, and by way of incriminating himself and you got Um, I guess that'd be one interpretation. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, so if if those verses aren't there, then that would be uh, Tertullus directing Felix to question Paul. Whatever the, the motive is there, he'd be pointing Felix to ask Paul about it. But if those verses are there, it kind of changes the, the text a little bit, the narrative a little bit. It reads, And he tried to dis- desecrate the temple, and then we arrested him. We wanted to judge him according to our own law, but Lysias, the commander, came along and with much violence took him out of our hands. Well, we know that wasn't right, right? He came and he rescued him from the Jews, ordering his accusers to come before you. By examining him yourself concerning all these matters, you will be able to ascertain the things of which we accuse him. So who would that be speaking of if those verses are there? Yeah, talking about the commander, uh, Lysias, right? Claudius Lysias saying, go talk to him, the guy who came in and rescued Paul from the Jews, or in his words, came in and, and forcefully took him away from the Jews. Uh, so it changes things a little bit. I, just by looking at the outline of the text, I think that the latter part, or the latter understanding would be more um, favored, in, in my opinion, that... He's saying, go and talk to the guy who arrested him, not go talk to the guy who was arrested. So there's disagreement on whether or not those verses belong. Um, different manuscripts have them, and different manuscripts don't. Um, thoughts on that? Doesn't it, couldn't it be read also that even with the verse 6, 7, and part of 8, it could still be that they're talking about Paul? Um, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I think if those are in there, then it refers back to the the person who was spoken of most recently, to Lysias. Go and talk to Lysias and examine him and figure it out for yourself. They left out a few facts, you know, along the way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely not a factual presentation by Tertullus. All right. Um, verse 9. Um, the Jews also joined in the attack, asserting that these things were so. And so, it's not only Ananias, but the Jews are over here as well. And so, that kind of explains why his story about, in verse 7, about what Lysias has done, his place in all this, varies from what we read back in chapter 21, that Lysias actually came in and kind of rescued him. He's the bad guy now because the Jews are uh, joining the, the prosecution in their accusations. All right. Um, let's pick up in verse 10 and look at the defense 
of Paul. <clears throat> when the governor had nodded for him to speak, Paul responded, Knowing that for many years you have been a judge to this, this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. Since you can take note of the fact that no more than twelve days ago I went up to Jerusalem to worship, neither in the temple nor in the synagogues nor in the city itself did they find me carrying on a discussion with anyone or causing a riot. Nor can they prove to you the charges of which they now accuse me. But this I admit to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I do serve the God of our fathers, believing everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men cherish themselves, that there shall certainly be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. In view of this, I also do my best to maintain always a blameless conscience before both God and men. Now after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings, in which they found me occupied in the temple, having been purified without any crowd or uproar, but there were some Jews from Asia who ought to have been brought, been present before you and to make accusation if they should have anything against me. Or else let these men themselves tell what misdeed they found when I stood before the council. Other than for this one statement which I shouted out while standing among them, for the resurrection of the dead, I am on trial before you today. So... Paul was given permission to speak. Felix nodded to Paul, said, All right, defend yourself. It's your turn. And how did he start off? Cheerfully, right? He said, I'm, I'm ready to make my defense. I'm not worried. I'm not tripping. I'm not, um, I'm, I'm at peace. I'm cheerful to give my defense. No flattery. What's that? No flattery. No flattery, right? Um, and it, it could be perceived as flattery, possibly, um, because he gives him a, a hat tip to how long he's been serving. He says, knowing that for many years you have been a judge to this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. But he's not trying to butter him up. He says, because you've been here for so long, I'm cheerful to make my defense because, or since, verse 11, you can take note of the fact that no more than 12 days ago, I went up to Jerusalem to worship. So he's appealing to him to, to judge righteously, saying, you've been here, you know what's up, you know the system, you know the, the Jews and everything. Um, so Felix was a, an informed guy, is what Paul was saying, that you know what's going on, you've been around, you know the area, so I want you to make a, a good defense, or a good um, judgment based on my defense. And then he goes on to defend himself. And what is his first defense for this accusation that he's there in Rome trying to cause up a dissension among all the Jews? That he went to worship in Jerusalem 12 days earlier. Yeah, he said, I've only been here for, for 12 days. I haven't been here that long. Just a, a short amount of time. So use your head. Most excellent Felix. <laughs> You've been here for a while. How could I really cause a, a riot in just 12 days? Um, half of which he spent there in uh, Caesarea. So take note of the fact that no more than 12 days ago I went up to Jerusalem to worship. Neither in the temple, nor in the synagogue, nor in the city itself did they find me carrying on a discussion with anyone or causing a riot. <coughs> 
So not only had he not been there long enough, but there's a complete lack of witnesses. He says, you guys aren't able to produce anybody who can come up and give you any actual hard evidence of a dissension that I caused, of a riot that I was provoking. I wasn't, uh, what's that, that word they used of, of Trump? They tried to get him for? Inside. Yeah, he wasn't inciting anything, right? Um, he's only been there for a little while, and he has no witnesses who are coming up and speaking against him. And then what about this second accusation, saying that he was causing a mess among the Jews? How does he respond to that? Also, there's no proof that it was, you know, to the charges that they were making. Yeah, yeah, no proof, no witnesses, right? Because it didn't take place. <clears throat> what does he say about his relationship with the Jews? That he serves the same God of our fathers. Yeah, he says, well, I'll admit to you this, that according to the way, that's just another way of saying to Christianity, um, that according to the way, Christianity, which they call a sect, I do serve the God of our fathers, believing everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets. So he's not in disagreement with the Old Testament. He uh, fully embraces the Old Testament. And he appeals specifically to the resurrection. So he agrees with everything in the law, everything written in the prophets. Verse 15, having a hope in God, which these men cherish themselves, that there shall certainly be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. Um, let me read for you. Daniel. In Daniel 12.2, it speaks of the resurrection. And Daniel 12.2 says that many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and to everlasting contempt. So the Jews spoke of a resurrection. Paul was speaking of a resurrection. Paul actually would have considered himself more of a Jew than, than they were. Um, is it Romans 8 or 9? Or neither one of those. Um, no, it's Romans 2, 28 and 29, where Paul says that a Jew isn't one who's one outwardly, talking about circumcision, but one who a Jew is one who is a Jew inwardly. Um, turn with me to John chapter 8. John 8. And John 8, Jesus is talking about what it means to to be a Jew, to be a, a child of the Father. Starting in, well, I'll just read verse 19 real quick. So John 8, 19 says, so, so they were saying to him, Where is your father? And Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. And jumping down a little bit, uh, verse 38. He says, I speak the things which I have seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you heard from your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, If you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, 
which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. And they said to him, We were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God. For I have not even come on my own initiative, but he has sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them, because you are not of God. The Jews answered him and said, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? And then at the end of the chapter 58, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Therefore they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. And so Jesus was calling out the, the Jews. He was saying, yeah, you say that you're Jews. You say that you're Jews inwardly, even though you're only Jews outwardly. You say that Abraham is your father, but if Abraham was your father and you do the deeds of your father, you would listen to me because I am from the father. If Abraham were truly your father, if God were truly your father, then you would embrace me because I am the father of one. Before Abraham was, I am. And so he's saying... Um, you're really not as, as Jewish as you might hope to be. And Paul here, back in Acts 24, he's saying, no, I, I totally agree with the Old Testament, with the prophets. I am a true Jew in every sense of the word. And I look at the Old Testament, Deuteronomy, or not Deuteronomy, Daniel 12, 2, that I looked at, saying, yes, I believe in the resurrection. And I believe that Christ, the Messiah, the great I am, was both crucified and, and resurrected. So don't tell me that I'm not a Jew. I'm not against the Jews. I am for the Jews. What other evidence does he give that he's for the Jews? In what we've already read? Uh, yeah, back in Acts 24, in his defense, between verses 10 and 21. He gives a couple other reasons for how he's for the Jews instead of against the Jews. He worships the same God, believing everything laid down by the law written in the prophets. Went to Jerusalem to worship. Yeah, why did he go to Jerusalem to worship? Verse 17. I came to bring alms. I came to bring offerings to my people, to my nation. That's why I'm here, because I love the Jews, and they were hurting, they were in need, and so I brought them money, help from these other places. I'm not against the Jews, I'm for the Jews. And he appeals to God himself. Um, I think in 15, having a hope in God, which these men cherish themselves, they shall certainly be a resurrection. Verse 16. In view of this, I also do my best to maintain always a blameless conscience, both before God and before men. 
now after several years I came to bring alms to my nation. <coughs> yeah, so before God and before men, um, he appeals to God and saying, well, I have a, a clear conscience. And even if you don't realize that, God realizes it. And, and I'm not worried because I'm not here against the Jews. I'm not here against Rome. I'm not here against God. I'm here to to serve and to to help my brothers in, in a time of need. And then in verse um, 18, after he references the, the offering that he brought, he says, what was that? I was going to say that, that it was purified, but um, what does... Yeah, I didn't say it because I didn't know exactly what that entailed. Oh. Okay. Oh, okay. I thought we were on the same page, but not. Oh, maybe. I don't know. We'll read 18 and we'll see if we're on the same page, I guess. Um, so 18 says, In which they found me occupied in the temple, having been purified. So that, yeah, that's a reference back to that vow that he took with those four people. Uh, so he's saying, I wasn't causing a, a ruckus without any crowd, without an uproar, but there were some Jews from Asia. So, yeah, I wasn't causing a a riot, no crowd, no uproar. I was just partaking in this vow. And then he references these Jews from Asia, the same ones we read about in 19 from Ephesus, um, who wanted to, they were the ones who were causing a stir and an uproar, right? Rex? It seems like it's interesting in the 12 days, it's a short period of time that had these guys been interested in a good trial or a righteous trial that they would have been able to go out and get witnesses to come and testify just line them up, witnesses against Paul that yeah, he was doing this and this and this and causing a riot and everything else but yeah, none yeah. no witnesses and again, that's his answer to their issue with the, the riot in the temple which we've seen change its form of accusation several times right? First it was, oh yeah, we saw him with so-and-so in the temple. He, he took a Gentile in the temple. And then it wasn't mentioned at all in verse 20, or chapter 23. And then here, um, it was that he tried to take a Gentile into the temple. So they're, they're changing their accusations all over the place. But Paul's saying, hey, look, if I took somebody into the temple, you can go and you can get witnesses and bring them here and, and we'll discuss it. Or you guys, you guys were at that last mock trial, right? Jeremy called it a kangaroo court. You guys were there, but you you can't give any witness. You can't give any testimony, right? Because I didn't do it. You guys can't pin anything to me. I am blameless. Um, let's see. So the end of verse 18, talking about these Jews who came from Asia, who ought to have been present before you to make accusation if they have anything against me. Or else let these men themselves tell what misdeed they found when I stood before the council. Other than that one statement, which I shouted while standing among them, for the resurrection of the dead, I am on trial before you today. So nothing's going to stick against him. They brought these accusations saying, you're against Rome, you're against the Jews, you're against God. And he offers a defense for each one of those. Thoughts on that before we move on to the judgment that Felix offers. All right. Um, verse 22. But Felix, having a more excellent knowledge about the way, put them off. So again, Felix, he was informed. He had more excellent knowledge about the way. Um, 
probably because he was there governor in Judea he knew his region pretty well his wife was a Jew so that gave him some insight um, he was without excuse he was an informed man he knew more exactly the knowledge of the way and he put them off saying when Lysias the commander comes down I will decide your case remember that uh, Claudius Lysias he was the one who arrested Paul back in chapter 21 so he was um, he was like the sheriff in town right he went in and took Paul and he took him to this court he's the one who handed him over to Ananias Ananias delivered him down or showed up five days later down in Caesarea and so now Felix is saying well let's wait for the the sheriff this Claudius guy this commander of a thousand to come down he can give me his testimony well remember back in chapter 23 verses 26 through 30 he had already sent him a letter a letter that we kind of picked apart last week and we realized that it was full of half truths and misinformation is that the word of the day um, and so he had already given his testimony to Felix Felix had everything that he needed from Claudius Lysias to be able to make a judgment but he's just putting it off it's a political game remember that Felix is uh, he's working on behalf of the Roman government so he wants to make Nero happy he wants to make Caesar happy but he's in the region of the Jews and he has to keep them under wraps and keep them in line if there's a riot that breaks out among the Jews in his region then he's the one who's going to be on the hook for that and so he's trying to play this political game balance this tightrope of pleasing Rome and also pleasing the Jews and he decides I'm just gonna pawn it off I'm gonna say let's wait for Claudius Lysias to come down and give his testimony we don't have any indication that he called for Lysias to come down and to give a testimony or that Lysias ever came down but that was his his cop-out that's what he said he wanted to wait for for more information so that he could decide Paul's case and then verse 23 he gave orders to the centurion for him to be kept in custody and yet have some freedom and not to prevent any of his friends from ministering to him so that's kind of cool right I mean even though he's in custody um, he's allowed to have visitors he's allowed to have friends come in and minister to him we talked about how when he was in prison in Jerusalem how he went there to to visit his buddies he went there to to visit James and the elders and um, he had Luke with him and yet that church that he had taken all that money to that he had that sweet affection for he was unable to see he was unable to minister to or to be ministered by but now he's 60 miles away in Caesarea and Felix said well yeah we're gonna keep a hold of him we're not gonna let him go but he's allowed to have people come in visitors to come in and minister minister to him so while he was kind of mocked by his inability in Jerusalem to be able to do this he has a, a freedom here that he didn't have in Jerusalem so that's kind of a, a sweet thing uh, he was in his praetorium still right yeah he definitely has freedom that a typical prisoner isn't isn't privy to so he has people coming in and and going able to bring him stuff and care for his needs 
Kate with a file in it or something? Yeah, yeah. You know how it is. He worked in a prison. Yeah. <laughs> All right, verse 24. But some days later, Felix arrived with Drusilla, his wife, who was a Jewess, and sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. So he's got him there in his own little private sector, and he's got freedom, but he's kind of using him. He's bringing him in and asking for stuff, right? He says, but as he was discussing righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix became frightened and said, go away for the present, and when I find time, I will summon you. And so Paul, being the master evangelist that he is, he's still preaching the gospel. In our theology class, we're going through the Holy Spirit right now, pneumatology, and we're talking about the ministries of the Holy Spirit to the unbelievers. And what does the Holy Spirit convict the world of? Sin. Sin and righteousness. And judgment. judgment. All right. He convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And that's what they're talking about. They're talking about um, righteousness and how God is a standard for righteousness, how we have a need for righteousness. Talking about sin, how um, Felix was unable to, to measure up. He had a lack of self-control. He's out there marrying 15-year-olds that aren't even his, right? Um, he's not self-controlled in any any measure. And then judgment to come. And so Paul's preaching to this man who has his life in his hands and the decision to, to be able to let him go unashamedly. Because as we've already looked at, he's been told by Christ himself he's going to end up in Rome. So he has absolute freedom and, and boldness to preach the gospel without fear of what man's going to do to him. And then verse 26 says, At the same time, too, he was hoping that money would be given to him by Paul. Therefore, he also used to send for him quite often and converse with him. So again, this guy is wicked and twisted, right? He's not uh, an outstanding, upright, righteous judge. Um, he was unwilling to let him go because he feared the Jews and he wanted to appease the Jews, but he was willing to do it for money. So he was keeping him around in case um, he was able to get any money out of him. He still had his, his eye towards a, a potential bribe that, that Paul would be able to give him. That's an ugly eye. Um, uh, remember, he was the, the leader of the Nazarenes, so maybe he had some dough, right? Uh, he brought all this money to Jerusalem, so I don't know what Felix was thinking, but he was looking out for his own good. He wasn't looking out for, for justice or righteousness. He was corrupt. He was absolutely corrupt. Yeah, he was wicked. Um, that's what, um, not Tertullus, but, um, oh, who was that? Huh? No. Um, I don't know. <laughs> he was a Tacitus. That's what Tacitus said. That he was absolutely corrupt, just looking out for his own good. Um, not above anything. And then verse 27. But after two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus, and wishing to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul imprisoned. So again, he's trying to appease both the Jews and Rome at the same time. He's kind of caught in the middle. He doesn't have a backbone. He's just apathetic towards it all. And um, next week we'll read about Festus. He was in the, the shadow of 
Felix. He's going to come on and he'll be around for a couple of years. But Felix is the wicked governor who's on his way out, but kept Paul around for his own political gain, really. Mm-hmm. Thoughts or questions for a closed prayer? Did it say somewhere that Felix was looking to gain money from Paul? Yeah, in 26. Yeah, said that he was hoping that money would be given him by Paul. And so he called for him often. Yeah. So he and Drusilla would say, hey, come in, come talk to me. Come come, teach me some theology. But really, he had ulterior motives. He wanted some money from him. So said he called him for him often, but then Paul would start preaching the gospel. He'd get convicted and say, okay, you can go now. <laughs> yeah. Sure. I think it's neat, though, that God's working through all this because these guys get to hear the gospel. Plus, maybe if they let Paul go, he might have been killed. Yeah. Yeah, he had kind of a, a refuge there, a, a place of safety where his friends could come in and could see him. And I'm sure it wasn't ideal because he was still locked up. He wasn't able to go like he wanted to. But he had some some measure of safety, for sure. And... Yeah, he was still preaching the gospel, so I'm sure there are going to be people in heaven because of his two years there and his ministry that he had during that period. All right, let's pray. God, we thank you once again for Paul and for the example that he is for us, that he could stand up and boldly proclaim the truth of the gospel. He could defend himself and say that he was without blame and no charge could stick because he was living in accordance with the fruit of the Holy Spirit. I pray that we would do the same, that we would preach your gospel without without worrying about what the result is going to be for us, what people are going to think, what our, uh, our job might end up, um, how our job might end up, that we would just be faithful to you no matter what. God, I thank you for the truth of your word and I pray that we would be Christians who would stand out for you, who would be completely different. We would live as children of God and be recognized as children of God based on our words and our fruit. I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen.